Yo, man. See, you know what? Don't be don't 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 be fooled. Whenever I'm tweeting, I'm probably uh, doing that instead of what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> What's good, everybody? You're listening to uh, the Post Bougie Podcast. I'm Gene Demby, but everybody calls me GD. I'm here with some of the extended Post Bougie fan. Uh, Angela Flournoy is the author of the forthcoming The Turner House, which will be published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt in 2015. What's good, Ange? Doing great. How are you? <laughs> Serena McFadden is a columnist for The Guardian US and uh, the editor of Union Station Magazine. What's good, Rita Mack? Hello, everybody. Uh, and Taryn Hall is a digital strategist uh, and the editor of DopeReads.com. What's good, Taryn? Hey! Uh, today we're here with our play cousin, Joel Anderson, who has a big-ass feature in BuzzFeed about Michael Sam's relationship to his family, and it's very, very complicated. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Michael Sam was supposed to be the biggest story in the NFL this year uh, before uh, Ray Rice uh, and Adrian Peterson came along. Michael Sam, of course, uh, was the first openly gay player to be drafted in one of the three major American sports. Um, Joel's story is a really, really deep dive into uh, both his family and the way he grew up uh, and his sort of less than ideal circumstances and the fallout that comes from this very tough childhood he had. What's good, Joel? Hey, uh, it's good to be here, y'all. So, I mean, you've been working on this forever, you can tell. Right? Uh, so- yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess uh, it took about five months from... Ooh. The first interview till we finally posted it uh, earlier this week. Earlier this week, which would be, uh, you know, the, the middle of November. I don't know when this is going to go up. but Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, how did you even find his family? How did you get in with them? Um, well, uh, it. I mean, I, you know, obviously you have like, you know, LexisNexis and you can just sort of just, you know, research. You know, you know I just plugged in Michael Sam. And started there, uh, knowing that he wasn't necessarily going to be at those addresses, but then you, those are, that just gives you kind of a place to start. And so, um, you know, I went down to uh, the, you know, the Houston area. That's where I'm from. So that made the, this so much easier. So I'm sort of familiar with that area. And I just started knocking on doors. And um, are you serious? You just knocked, walked hmm. around and knocked on doors. And- well, actually, it didn't. It wasn't even that. Um, so the old family home doesn't exist anymore in Lamarck, Texas. Um, it's just an empty lot. And so I was just sort of driving around and then I saw this little girl on a bike and I was like, yo, do you know where the Sam family is? And she's like, oh, Geraldine lives around the corner. And so she took me over there. Geraldine wasn't there. And she said, well, my mom knows who he is. And so they drove me around. I followed this little girl on her bike right around the corner again, and I got the number from her phone um, from her mother uh, to talk to Michael Sam's aunt, and that's really kind of where it all started. Wow! So wow. why do you think they were so amped to talk? I mean, so eager to talk to you? Oh, uh, they weren't eager to talk to me at all. <laughs> uh, that's that, that's in part why it took five months. Uh, it took about two months to actually get people to start talking to me, um, uh, and a lot of it was just showing up over and over again, um, you know. Did you bring anything? Uh, I, I did from Mr. Sam. Uh, everybody else I just kept. At the at the very end, uh, I bought uh, one of the guys who sort of helped put me in touch with people. I bought him a 12-pack of uh, Shiner Bach. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, to thank him for his help and everything. But, um, but no, I just kind of just kept showing up. And I was just like, yo, just you know, got comfortable, you know, I know that area pretty well. Um, and that, that town, Lamarck, Texas, 
um, is like a, a well-known football power in, in, in the Houston area in Texas. And so I knew, knew people that played on that football team. So it's like you just start talking to them about people they may know, and then it just kind of goes from there. And so they just eventually sort of got comfortable with me, and then they said, well, all right, well, I'll give you this person's number, and it just kind of you know snowballed from there. I mean, how did you establish rapport with Mr. Sam in, in general, in particular? Okay. Um, so the way that happened is that, and I mean, this, this is part of the long process, right? So I got, well, and let me just, hmm. let me preface that by saying that Mr. Sam seemed like the quintessential cat daddy that everybody knows. <laughs> and since you're on the fast track to cat daddy, I'll stop dumb. it. Stop it. <laughs> I just wanted to know if you went dang. and like, took notes. Why do I got to be me right now? <laughs> I know I'm old, but damn. You ain't got to be a cat daddy. Um, you ain't that old. <laughs> old enough. Uh, but no, so what happened is that I got um, the phone number to Mr. Sam from this guy who, I mean, essentially was like a fixer for me. And so I mm-hmm. called him and I was like, yo, Mr. Sam, like, I just really want to talk with you. Kind of, you know, did my spiel. And he was like, all right, well, I'm going to be in town and, uh, you know, me and my family, we're going to be there and you'll have to take us out to dinner. And I was like, okay, all right, I'll do, <laughs> I'll do that. Fine. And so the day I show up, he's like, nah, we decided we're not going to talk. Uh, and he was like, you know, my wife says, no, nobody wants to do it. So no, I'm not going to do it. And I was like, damn, you know, and I, you know, I thought I, I was about to have this scoop and it didn't happen. And so like, I tried him, I called him about two or three more times and he was just like, not, nah, not doing it. Uh, he was like, no, not, you know, don't, you know, don't bother me. I'm not going to do this. And so finally I just, um, Again, I kind of traced his address through LexisNexis and I went to like the homes of like his relatives in the Dallas area uh, one weekend and I just showed up at the front door of his uh, brother, uh, Charles, who was just really great. And so we're just sitting there, me and Charles hit it off. You know, he welcomed me in his you know, living room. We started talking and he was like, yo, well, Mike uh, stays at the nursing home down the street. You want to go? Oh, damn. And I was like, yeah, mm. let's go. <laughs> and, and so uh, I, I I went there and, you know, he, he was, you know, obviously sort of reluctant. And he's like, what? You know, why are you here? I told you I didn't want to talk, but I just kind of waited him out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, when you say you waited him out, like, what kind of, like, was it a did you charm him? Like, what did like you just like? Like, did you yeah. like find you? Did you like? Is it a conversation of finding other points of commonality to like get him to open up? Because cat daddy, portrait, the cat daddy, yeah, yeah right, cat, right, right. Cat, how did like cat daddy, the cat daddy? Yeah, yeah well, stop. Okay, so, <laughs> so no, so what happened is that, and this is crazy. It's like so obviously having his brother around um, made it easy, right? Like, because I actually mm-hmm. his brother called told him, hey, this guy here is from New York and he wants to see you. And uh, Mr. Sam said no. And you know what the problem was is he thought I was with the New York Times and he felt mm. burned by the New York Times. And so mm. he was just not going to talk to me because he thought because I, I kept saying I was from New York. So I, actually at that point, I stopped, I stopped telling people I was from New York. I, I started telling people I'm from Houston. And that helped. Right. right. Oh, yeah. And then... You're a local dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like a local dude. And then... When I went back to see him, I brought him some gumbo. 
Uh, Wait, where'd this gumbo come yeah, from? Papa, that could have been have like have the wrong gumbo. Have y'all heard of Yes, yeah, yes, right. yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, like, yeah. If you're from down in the in the in the Gulf Coast area, Houston, uh, it, or even in Atlanta, because Atlanta has or Chicago. They have yeah, a Atlanta in Chicago has one. I think they do. Wow. I went one time with my relatives. Do they? They have it in Chicago. Hold on. They Let's, have one yeah. um, in Atlanta in like the suburbs. I've been to that Papa Doe. Yeah, like so I've been to that one and there, it's always like a two hour wait on weekends. Like Papa Doe is like. In, in, they have Papa Doe DC? No. No. Is that where we're going oh. after this term? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, like Papa Doe in Houston and growing up, it was like, I, w- I want to say. I don't, maybe Outcast even said something. No, they, they said that about Cheesecake Factory. But it's like it's like one of those places. It's like if you take a girl to Papa Doe in high school or college, it's like, dog, why are you spoiling these girls, dog? Why are you trying to, why are you trying to stunt? You know what I'm saying? You know. But it's just are you like, tricking out on these females. Yeah, like you tricking, dog. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it, it's a, it's a it's a nice restaurant. But it's like as you get older, you like, oh, okay, it's just got like wood, you know this wood paneling and like you know it's just like right. a place that a lot of black people. Black people like seafood and shellfish, yeah. like yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. But like you know, but, like, <laughs> but, but, but Papa Doe is distinctively like like a lot of black people really love that restaurant, and <laughs> and so like when they said okay, bring him some gumbo, I was like all right, bet. And I talked took it to him. He ate my food before he really talked to me. Wow. <laughs> um, and actually, the first time I was there, I didn't know what was wrong with him. Like he, you know, I, I think in the, the story I make. Uh, Allusions to the, the uh, well, I, I talk about the fact that he has like these health problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really know what was going on with him, but he was shaking really badly and like he kept falling asleep during the interview. And I, you know, I was just like, I don't, I was like, I almost got to a point where I was like, I don't even feel comfortable like interviewing him, like if right, he's right. like going to be in the sense. So I just kind of waited him out and then he like popped up and woke up and then rolled out to the patio. And I was, you know, I followed him and then he kind of perked up. And I think our first interview was about two hours. Uh, and then I came back another day and then went for two hours. And I mean, I probably spent a total of like, I mean, if you add up all the hours, probably about two or three days with him total. So hmm. it's crazy because, hmm. you know, the the story, the headline story is that the Sams and Michael Sam mm-hmm. fell out once he was drafted by the St. Louis Rams because they were just anti-gay. They were just homophobes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a uh and that was the reason, you know, for all this discord in their family. But you wrote basically that there's a whole bunch of other shit that happened, a whole bunch of other more complicated stuff um, that happened in Michael Sam's childhood, um, and just amongst his family um, that made them sort of this, like, that created this like circle of distrust. So, could you talk a little bit about all that stuff? Well, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, uh, I, I mean, to call their family dysfunctional sort of like a disservice to like dysfunctional families, right? Like, actually, what you have here is like a family that like has just been like beset with like all these tragedies like um you know um mr sam and his wife they you know they were together young had their first couple of children very young and then at this you know as they're getting started out as a family they lose you know their daughter uh she drowned in a, in, uh at, at, at this lake near their apartment complex Jesus. so that's just kind of like wow you know this is their infant baby daughter and it, it, it's something that still like deeply affects him today um mm-hmm. and so you know, so that just kind of sent things spiraling, right? And I mean, you hear this story all the time. Like, I just I tell people, like, you think about it, like, people, like parents who have children that die. Like, if if that happens to you once, like that, it can just be like a life altering thing. Well, the mm-hmm. problem is, it happened to them again. 
um, yeah. when they got older. You know, their son, their oldest son got shot and killed while he was trying to break into somebody's house. And then a couple years later, the next oldest son just disappears. Um, and they haven't, yeah. you know, they haven't seen or heard from him since. And he was 16 years old, you know. Um, so they just had like all these really like difficult things. They weren't, partic- you know, then just the relationship issues between Mr. Sam and his wife, like, you know, they were off again, on again, having children in the midst of this. They had, you know, um, child su- a child support uh, battle. They divorced. Got she like switched religions too, right? Yeah. She, yeah, she became a witness, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. She became a Jehovah's Witness. He's raised in a really strong Baptist family. Like, I mean, like one of the sort of preeminent Baptist families of their little community, right? Mm-hmm. And so there was just so much like that they had to deal with over the course of about 15 years that it's just sort of amazing that like, you know, that they actually in some ways were even able to hold it together as much as they did. But like when you look at what happened to them, sort of like what happened with their other children and everything else sort of makes sense, I think, on, in that context. Right. So I'm interested in sort of the way that you're able to frame a story that gives us um I think, I mean, I didn't read the comments, but um, was that you, Sarita, mentioning how people, you know, felt the story was unfair to Michael Jr., but I felt that that wasn't the case. There's a story that gives, there's still a lot of room for empathy and understanding of him, even though you didn't have access to him. And um, so I just wanted to talk about that, like, when you, when it became clear that you weren't going to have access to him, sort of what was your thought process moving forward? Well, right. Well, I mean, I, um, I mean, obviously, like, when I when this first started out, I was like, yo, like, I really want to talk to Michael Sam. Like, I really just want to get into, you know, how he ended up where he was. And I mean, actually, the, the reason that this story, the genesis of the story came about was when I was watching the draft and I noticed that there were like no black people around him. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, where's this? I was just I was thinking, like, where's his family? Like, where's his mom or dad? Or, you know, I'm saying anything like that. And that's what made me start sort of looking into it. Um, right. But so, um, you know, given that, I was just like, all right, well, you know, let's just try to get his side of the story. And at a certain point, probably two or three months into it, maybe four, I was like, well, they're not going to talk to me. So Mm -hmm. um, I was just like, well, I'm just going to have to be as fair about this as possible. And like, you know, I mean, when you talk to like Mr. Sam or whatever, he was as open and as honest as any person I've ever interviewed is could be but like you still have to like back things up so you got to like go into the courthouse you got to like dig for documents like you know i am mm-hmm. right. people can say if like i was being fair you know being you know there was slanted to him but like you know I, I went into detail about like his you know child support payments like the fact that he had to go to jail for not paying child support those are things i have to ask him about um right. you know about like um, moving away uh, from his family, he, like he—I mean, he—he—he he, he certainly doesn't consider himself to have abandoned his family, as has been alleged previously. But like moving away, like you know, maybe not being the best father um, in sure. terms right, of like right. you know, like teaching his kids like how to deal with like be you know like really overemphasizing toughness at the expense of a lot of other things. Um, he was pretty honest about that, and I think like if so, somebody was going to say to me that like, well it was biased. I was like, well, I mean, when you come from it, like, do you think that like, that's somebody that you would want to be your father? You know, and if that's the case, then I don't, I guess I sort of, I mean, I, if, if I don't, I don't have, I, I knew that people were going to come at me for like, well, why would you write the story? Why would you talk, you know, why would you 
you know, go after Michael Sam, like it's like it's a hit piece or something. But that that's not what is intended at all. It was just sort of to like sort of um, sort of explain like why things are the way they are. And I think if anything, it like it should give people a, a deeper appreciation for the like the the obstacles he had to overcome to even get to where he is now. It, it definitely does, because what when I when I saw some of those like, you know, like I devoured the piece as soon as like the link went out, like made it like my Wednesday night reading before, you know, the next onslaught of stuff. But what struck me immediately was how you were able to accurately portray what, what um, Michael Jr. is silent on about his origin story. And looking at what people, how people were receiving it, I was worried on one hand reading it. I'm like, I think folks are going to look at this and think that this is like a biased takedown. But in fact, that's a flat reading of what all the, all the things that are happening here um, in terms of like an, of a portrayal of an exceptional player that hasn't necessarily been able to reach his full potential because of, like over like after all after all of that after all a family beset with tragedies a fractured relationship with your father to still to still be at the precipice of greatness and still not quite be there yet. Yeah, well, thank thank you for saying that. Um, I really appreciate that. I mean, it's just yeah, you know that. I, I mean, I, you know, the thing is, when you write a story like this, like you understand that people are going to be mad. And, it, and particularly with Michael Sam, like there's a there's a certain narrative that his publicists and agents want out there, which is totally understandable. Right. Like he is an exceptional human being. Um, but like there's more to it than like what they're putting out there. And I think that's OK. Like, I mean, I think it was. I think that like that part of it helps to, you know, make him even more flesh and flesh and blood and, you know, flatten out like how, you know, how did this person end up here? Um, you know, because you hear Joel, what's that? Uh, sorry to cut you off, but I Uh-oh. actually I'm not sorry. Um, no, I think your story was like, do you ever think that it serves as a sort of therapy or like um, as a mirror for Michael Sam himself just because? he probably hasn't even considered some of the things that you tease out in the story. Oh, absolutely. Um, hmm. Well, mm-hmm. huh, okay. Cause, <laughs> well, here's the thing. So like I wrote about my father about a year ago for father's day. Um, oh my gosh. That's such a good story. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think it just takes a lot of growing up and failing as a man or failing as a person in general before you like can sort of like, walk in your parents shoes right and there's just a lot of things that like i think about this all the time like i don't ask my dad or my mom about a lot about their life all the time like Mm -hmm. i just they just came to me as fully formed adults and you just kind of have to (laughs) you just have to deal with them right you don't know anything about what made them into the people they are unless you're like really precocious and you know a deeply empathetic child um right you know or a novelist and you're just in their business yeah right (laughs) right right you just you just sort of forget to ask your parents like why are you doing that or like how did you end up here um and so i certainly like i don't know if that if that's something michael had ever michael jr had ever thought about or will ever think about um but maybe you know maybe it could give him a little bit more context for why his parents did the things that they did because like certainly like as i get older and like things come up and I talk with my parents about like their lives, their relationship together. Then you're like, oh, OK, like you're not in infi- you were not infallible. You know what I mean? And like 
Right. You know, you were susceptible. You were a human being, you know, just like every just like every other person I know. Every, every person I'm growing up with now is like going to probably end up being a parent, right? And right. so, like, these people bring all this baggage with them. And, you know, sometimes it's just important to remember that, that, like, your parents are imperfect people, you know? Joel, was there ever a time during the interview where you just busted out laughing oh. at something he said? Oh. Like, when he was, when he was all up on them nurses in the, uh, in the home. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Damn, I mean, baby. You ain't never been over like that. I, I, I mean. Or, uh, or the part where he said that boy had some big ass balls. Because <laughs> I, I know I died a slow death. Yeah. Yo. Like, when I, that, that, I think that he said that, like, during our first time together. And, like, I sent like that note to my editor and he was like yo like that's going in the story like, like, that quote is going in there but yeah i mean like he's a funny person and his family is like extremely funny and like they were i mean they remind me of my family you know in, in a lot of ways i mean obviously like my family has not had that you know sort of ordeal but they're a big close-knit family from louisiana and arkansas and it's just like you know like you're not going to sit around talking a lot about like respectability politics or like pop, you know, mm-hmm. anything else with like, you know, like people of a certain age uh, and people that are sort of raised in a certain way. But like, you know, they just sort of like have their own way of like dealing with the world and talking about things. And so like, you know, uh, one of his uncles was, I mean, <laughs> one of his uncles, uh, we were sitting there, it was me uh, and Mr. Sam. And he was just like, you know, man, I think Michael ain't really gay. He said, I think he's going to he's going to go back to women, man. He's just trying to get this white folk money right now. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I was like, what? <laughs> and then that's, that's actually, actually, there's a quote from Mr. Sam in there uh, about that. You know, like women ain't going to really want you after you've done all that gay shit. You know, like, it's just like <laughs> yo, like that's, it's like, it's, course um but it's just like there was stuff like that that happened all the time and like you talk about him being a cat daddy i mean there were like five or six times we went out to dinner and it was like he said something to a waitress and i was like i had to be like later like yo i'm sorry like he's just you know what i'm saying like that's not my dad but you know what i'm saying he's just you know whatever you like I'm, i apologize for that um yeah so yeah i mean but he's i mean he's just a really loose coarse jocular guy and like he's gonna make you laugh as much as he's gonna make you cringe right i was um there was this big story in out sports about how other players who were similarly situated to sam uh, with similar kind of credentials and similar sort of tweener bills um had been drafted late but they managed to stick with nfl teams so the conversation went about sam which before was he's not going to stick with the nfl team because he's gay um and NFL team is not going to want to touch him. So he's out of the league for the moment. Do you think he'll find his way back to an NFL team? Because um, he had the misfortune of landing on the Cowboys, who were supposed to be terrible, and the defense was supposed to be terrible, and he's he supposed to fill some holes for them. Um, and now they're actually pretty competent. They're pretty solid defense, and so he's sort of expendable. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, I He's, like, sort of in a position to where he's going to be one of those guys that, like, he might be on the fringes of the league you know, for mm. the duration of his career, however long that is. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I really wish I could say, I mean, like, I get that question a lot. And I just, I mean, it's just, you know, he's not 
probably going to be a special NFL player, and if you're not, then you're expendable. And right. it, 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 a lot of it could matter with fit, you know, um, you know, just whoever is at your position. Like, are you behind, you know, like a bunch of really great players? So it's it's really difficult to say. Um, I think he's going to get at least a couple more shots, and we'll just, you know, we'll have to see what happens from there. But like, you know, it, it's certainly not encouraging, like that it that a, a person of his stature has had to sort of take this route to the NFL because normally, like. It, it's just really just sort of hard to argue that like homophobia has like not played a role in like sort of where he is um, right today. I think you say in the article that he performed pretty well for the Rams in the preseason. Yeah, um, and a lot of people pointed that out, but he still didn't stick with the team. Um, so I sort of wonder what the his long term prospects look like. Yeah, I mean, I think he he deserves a spot in the league. There's a guy that I like really his take on football like I respect as much as anybody. His name is Stephen White. It's at SGW94. Uh, he, he's a former NFL player, and he, like, blogs uh, for SB Nation. And, like, I talked with him, you know, the first time Michael got cut. And he was just like, no, he's just like, this is really no excuse for it. You can't make, you can't keep making excuses for NFL teams mm-hmm. at, at a certain point. Like, he's good enough to play in the league. He's also not good enough to where, like, you could make the, you know, the rock-solid case that he has to, like, be on the field and he's going to be a pro bowler. But, like, he should be in the league somewhere. Right. Have you heard from other sports writers, particularly black male sports writers, about this piece in particular? What's the reception been from other people kind of in your milieu as like sports writers? Um, you know, I haven't I I mean, I haven't heard uh from a, like a lot of black sports writers, but like I have heard from some sports writers and they've been generally complimentary. Um, you know, that uh, I think, you know, they understood that, like, it took a lot of work um, and it was like a lot of there's a lot of complex issues and there's a lot of ways that, like, I I could have it almost did screw this story up, you know. And so, like, yeah, I, people can sort of like appreciate that because, um, I mean, you know, I mean, and one thing I, I've got to say that, like, you know, this is really um, a lot of like the execution of this is like I I put a lot of like thanks to BuzzFeed because like not a lot of people will give you the money and the time and the resources to like continue to like go back after it and spend money and like try to talk to people and that sort of thing. Like if they, if they had said, Hey Joel, you've got two weeks to get this done. I don't have a story, you know? Um, right. And so like, you know um, th- that, I mean that part of it, you, you just can't deny it. Also, um, you know, I, there was, a, there's one other thing, um, you know, I got, I was really uncomfortable with the idea that like I would be sitting in judgment of whether or not this guy is homophobic or not. Right. Because I don't like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not really like, you know, like Ta-Nehisi says this a lot, like you're not qualified. (laughs) You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Right. And like, I'm not really qualified. The one thing that did help me, and this again, this is a credit to Buzzfeed is that like, you know, in one corner I've got Saeed Jones who helped me with this. Um, We had Mm -hmm. Chris Geithner who was, uh, you know, uh, one gay journalist of the year. Um, and my editor uh, himself, Mark Sheaves, who's a Pulitzer Prize winner and is uh, openly gay himself. And like, I've got like these eyes like over me as I'm writing the story and they're like informing mm. me and they're like making sure that like they, they gave me the confidence to like, to write this story in a way that like, you know, I felt a, a little bit more comfortable. And I, I think that like, I mean, 
also to to this credit, it like just shows you the importance of having like a diverse newsroom. So you Man, don't you beat me to yeah, it, right? Yeah, right. So you don't so you don't make missteps, and you also you know the sensitivity is like even just in the, in the language of the story. There was some there was mm-hmm. one story, there was one anecdote in the story that like I included where the family the family got really upset that Michael um, Michael Junior had gone to a it was like a draft party uh, with the St. Louis Rams, and they invited his sister up. And his boyfriend Vito was there. Mm-hmm. Well, the the team gave out a T-shirt and they gave it to his sister. And Michael was like, "What are you doing? That T-shirt's for Vito." And right. it's like everybody was pissed. And I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh, that's kind of you know, that's being an asshole." And then like you know, my editor was like, "You know, if that was his girlfriend, like nobody would ever say that." Right. And I was like, "You know what? Uh, you're right." I was like, "You're right." And yeah. I was like, "That's a blind spot that I just wouldn't have had otherwise." So. So. Have you heard from the Sams about this piece? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I have not. I talked with Mr. Sam earlier this week, and I because before we sent the story out, we basically sent them like an outline of like what was going to be in there, so they're not surprised. They call them those surprise letters, right? Um, right. Just you know, just like as a courtesy, and like so, Mr. Sam like really didn't have any problems. Like we spent most of that conversation talking about football. Um, <laughs> and um and so this morning uh strangely enough um the aunt the aunt geraldine sam mm-hmm. uh, michael's mm-hmm. aunt um sent me a really nice text she was just like thank you for telling our story like we really appreciate mm-hmm. it she said you know no family is perfect but like thank you for getting our side of the story out there and i was just like you know given everything i put out there like i mean like a, a family could be really embarrassed by a lot of the things that were out there that like you know sure. right but so what mm. What, what like, like I'm sorry, sorry to cut you. No, off, no, no, so, please. I'm talking like, too much. <laughs> no, like what? Well, yeah, like, well, no, you're talking. About, like I'm like I can talk to you for hours about this story just because like too. the craft of it is just like in terms of, just just really a deep human story that cuts across like beyond like you know the idealized sports like you know the sports ingenue down to like the class issues with the family. And then, and that and that was really what started the other like thread or theme that I started to kind of hook onto is like I wonder how the fans feel about this, particularly because it was such a well like a balanced, like delicate way to kind of deal with like what what Michael Jr. seemed like projection of what what his relationship with his family is and who his support network is, mm-hmm. um, and I, to the erasure of his actual blood family. Um, and and I was wondering, just kind of, you know, what was what was powerful about even like reading this was like, okay, I'm I'm curious, do they feel like this is fair, a fair representation of what they feel, what they might feel towards Michael Jr. I mean, like, you know, I'm not qualified to judge, but I had wondered, I like as re- reading this, I was wondering that. Yeah. Um. Thanks. I, I mean, it's fair to say that they're like really frustrated with him. Um, but like, if you think about it, like how often do you hear about families where like somebody sort of emerges from like a lower middle class or like, you know, a poor family and they like move on and become successful. And then like, you know, for whatever reason they become distant and people like get their family becomes really resentful of them. Um, almost like he's passing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That's a, I mean, that's a, that's a really common story. I bet a bunch of us have 
sort of not had to navigate that space too ourselves. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's definitely. there's always there's always somebody in your fa- family that might think, oh, you being sadiddy, you know what I'm saying? Right, right, mm-hmm. exactly. Or something yeah. like that. And like you know, you think you better than us? Yeah, you think you better? Than us. <laughs> yeah. or, are, or are you ashamed of us? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, you like it probably hurts them a lot. Um, well, no, probably it does hurt them a lot that like you know he is so like publicly aligned himself with this white family that mm-hmm. you know had has a lot of means and i mean i'm not impugning their like motives at all because like they took in a kid i mean you take in a high school football star that doesn't mean anything like yeah. like like he, yeah. he could just as easily like wash out of college um sure. so like obviously right. they did something like lovely and like they took this kid in but like you could understand like why the why michael's own family might be like yo like we we've been paying and supporting you all the way like why don't you invite us to these award ceremonies? Why don't you talk about us in front of, you know, on ESPN, you know? So. Well, you, I think, like, if, you come, if you're coming from a place where it's like, they clearly had a lot of struggle and there was clearly, like, a lot going on, you know, sometimes it's hard to acknowledge that your family can't do for you or can't, be the way that you see your peers have their parents in their lives. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Be, I don't know. Cause I think I th- like, like reading this, it like, it made me wonder about there's a, there's a relationship to shame, hmm. which I feel is a, like, and I don't want to, like, I'm trying not to be like, you know, uncharitable, but there's a, there was a question here about if you're if you're preoccupied about you know like like you know and and I can speak to this like you know like I recognize echoes of myself and and Michael's story because like I came from like a working poor class family like you know family and 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 worried about how that the the social mannerisms of when you deal with other people in like spaces that like people who don't come from that background and how they're regarded or treated and Mm. just on one hand being protective of them and being protective of yourself because you don't want to want a whole set of definitions being like heaped upon you like simultaneously Mm. i don't know if that's coming out right no that's absolutely right i totally feel you You don't want to have to translate uncle Junebug. (laughs) <laughs> Taryn, <Exactly>. the truest <laughs> yes yeah yeah i mean like there's just like a lot of things um that people i what you know, one of the reasons that like i guess i was willing to do the story um and that like my editor wanted me to do the story i was like yo like there's not really anybody in michael sam's family or that lives in his neighborhood that i've never met before yeah, that's right. And yeah. so, like, like it's it's not, and I mean, that's something, because it's, like, the lives that, like, certainly, like, a lot of black professionals lead, right? Like, you mm-hmm. you have your feet, like, in a couple of worlds. And, um, you know, I mean, because, I, I mean, just what is, like, even, like, a upper middle class black family, like, they they live much closer to poor people than, like, upper middle class white people live to, like, so poor white people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, you you're just not surprised by any of that and so like i mean i could certainly see what like michael like wanting desperately to like just sort of establish himself and there's a lot put on him he's not just becoming a a football player like it's hard enough to like make the nfl but it's even harder when somebody puts the pressure of being a national icon on you you know um, right yeah. there's nothing and he always if, and 
from their perspective, he's always going to have the biggest megaphone, you know, like a bigger megaphone they are. Yeah. Like the, the way the story plays out is all from his perspective because he's the icon, right? Right. They're just this family in Texas. Um, and so they're being defined in relation to his story. I can imagine that being incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, again, these all, all the conversations I had with the story, because like we, I mean, the story went, I mean, I turned the story, the story was twice as long when I turned it Jesus. in. Right. Um, How long is it? It is sixty seven hundred words, I think. Oh, I didn't read that. Oh, yeah, sure. It was like thirteen thousand when I turned it in. A little over thirteen thousand. Wow. Yeah, so it's just a novella. It was just. It was just. <laughs> Angel's working on her novel right now. Yeah, right. It, it, it <laughs> was light work. It was just as short as uh, Tanahasi's like reparations piece, basically. Like it was a few thousand short of that. Wow. Um, but I mean, I was just like, I'm going to put everything in here, and then we're going to make a decision about like what direction it's going to go. And right. so as we like edited that first time, we were like, the most compelling stuff is Michael and his father. Um, yeah. And it wasn't Michael mm-hmm. and his family, it was Michael and his father. Um, yeah. yeah. Which is strange because he's a junior, but he's like one of the youngest boys, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did right. anybody explain that? Yeah. I didn't. That you know what? I That's not a question I asked. And I, and I wish I had now. Um, and I guess I still <laughs> could. Uh, but yeah, well, going to, I, I don't think I'll be writing about the Sams anymore for a while. But <laughs> it, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Because yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But like all of the, I want to say Russell... And Julian, I want to say they're named after like people in their family. You know what I mean? Right. So, mm-hmm. um, um, Chris, Josh, they're named after people in their family. So, those names, you need, those names you see a lot. Like they have like cousins, you know, named that too. So, right. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a lot, man. You know, uh, the, the one, the one other funny story is that so, like, uh, I had met, Trying to get Josh Sam to talk was like a hassle in and of itself. Cause I mean, like when he's not in jail, like he's just, he doesn't have a car. And so, like, his girlfriend's like 19 years old. Um, she works at Sonic. And so she. How old is Josh? Josh is. How old am I? Josh is like 30? Okay. 30. Yeah. Sure. She yeah, she <laughs> sure. Yeah, right. Sure. Yeah. She works she and she like you know, she's a little younger, obviously, nineteen, whatever. Um, but like he doesn't have like a lot. He doesn't have a phone. He doesn't have a car. And so it's just mm-hmm. like you can't call him and have him show up anywhere. And even if you could, he's not reliable in that way. Right. And and so anyway, the one the one time I called him, like he was just, you know, blazed off Sherm. You know what I'm saying? Like, just kind of stumbling through the neighborhood. And I was like, yo, I've been looking for you. And uh, so I took him to dinner or whatever. And we talked. Like, we talked for, like, you know, probably about two hours. And so the next time I went looking for him, he had got put back in jail. Um, And so I went to try to visit him at jail because you can't, like, you can't give him really a heads up. I was just like, well, I'm just going to see if I get on one of these visitations, right? Right, right. And so, like, I sit down. You you do it over the phone and it's like a video phone, and so I'm sitting there, and then Josh comes on the phone and he sees me. He's like, "What? Who the hell is this?" And he's like, "Yo!" And he like like just spins and turns around. He's like, "Yo, I can't talk to this dude because my girl is coming." And so the thing is, you only get like one visitation a day. Oh shit! Oh, yeah, and so it was just like <laughs> like he was like, "I'm not going to waste this visitation on this reporter motherfucker." You know what I'm As saying? <laughs> right, right. Uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, but like even even he was just like, you know, your heart 
Like, I'm just sort of a bleeding heart anyway, but your heart just sound, kind of goes out to a dude like that. Because I was just like, yeah, right. this dude's, like, really in a cycle. Like, it's just, mm. like, his life is probably going to be like that. Like, he'll probably end up, like, his younger brother, Chris, who's in prison for the next 30 years. You know what I mean? Like, he'll just keep getting arrested until finally, like, he does something that will keep him behind bars for, you know, the majority of the rest of his life. Um, and I don't think he's a bad kid. It's just that, like, you know, we talk about this a lot. It's just that, like, mediocre black kids like go to go to jail or go to prison you know what i mean so anyway so when you had this like novella length um (laughs) story that you turned in what did you like absolutely know you didn't want to like have out of the story like what were they not going to like edit out Mm, that's a good question um wow um Hmm. I I thought. Well, that's a tough question, man. This is this is this is not going to play well on there. Um, oh, sorry. Well, I'm just you no, know, no, 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 thinking no. about no, 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 because it's a good, it's a good question. Um, I I I really wanted like them the the part about if his father like came to football games or not. Mm-hmm. Because like ESPN's documentary on Michael Sam had said that he had abandoned the family, and that is something right. that like he is really really sensitive about, and that sort of gets to the core part of like, yo, like, okay, well, if Mr. Sam wasn't around, then like it makes sense that he's not in the story, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is like if his father was really just like the deadbeat and didn't show up at all, then like it's like okay, that explains a lot. But if he really was as involved as people say that he was, then like you know, then there's something else going on there. And so, like, that was something that we, I knew that I was like, yo, like, we've got to, like, sort of get to the bottom of that. And I still don't think that we really can answer that question because Michael's not talking, right? And so Michael can, Mm -hmm. Michael is the best person to say, hey, my dad came to every football game my senior year of college. I mean, or or high school, I'm sorry. And he's not talking. And Mr. Sam says, yo, I was there. Um, Mm -hmm. So that, that was one thing I was just like, yo, we've got to, like, figure this out. Like, was he, was he a deadbeat or wasn't he? Right. And it's so illustrative of the relationship, right? Like whether or not he was there or not. And it's illustrative of the relationship in that that is a contentious subject, right? Like whether he was there or not, you know? Right. Like if there's disagreement on that is also illustrative of their kind of beefs and their tensions. Right. 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 Absolutely. Like, it's just like, yeah, like, I mean, you know, that's, it's just different because like you're 10 years old, your father's on the road. Uh, as a truck driver, it probably is really easy to not think of your dad as not being there. Uh, right. And it's not like his, like, even if his father was there, that, like, things were going great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So that part of it is, yeah. Like, I mean, you just have to look at that through a child's eyes, you know? And I'm, I'm sure that, like, the seeds of, like, this distance were sown, like, probably back then. Um, he's like, mm-hmm. you know, he's, like, young Michael's like, this sucks. Like, our life sucks. And, like, you're not here. Um, right. So anyway, can I to flip to the other side of Angela's question? I'm curious. I mean, we are all writers. We know how agonizing this can be. What was the thing that you really, really, really wanted to be in this that didn't end up in this? Mm. Um, man, that's a good question. Um, another another one. Um, I really wanted. To talk about um, the fact that his relationship with his mother is strained right now, too. 
Hmm. His apparently, like, I from a couple of relatives. Yeah, I, I caught, caught that. A, a couple of relatives uh, had told me that like Michael had denied his mother like five hundred dollars to help her move, like hmm. a couple of you know, like in June or July, like not long. So after he got drafted, right? Like apparently she needed five hundred dollars to move, and he was like, "No, I can't give it to you." Wow. And I was just like, "Yo, like part like that was." I was like, yo, like, it's not just his dad that he's, like, right. estranged from. It's, like, his mom, who he, you know, purportedly has this really close relationship with. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But um, we were just like, you know what? It kind of distracts. We can't, you know, like, we, we haven't talked to Michael or his mom. Um, yeah. So it's just like, that just can't go in there. Um, right. That makes sense. Well... If you're listening, if you haven't read Joel's piece, you should go do that right now. It's at BuzzFeed. It's called The Two Michael Sand. Joel, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy Saturday. I know TCU is getting mollywhopped right now. Yeah, man. I ain't, um, so I ain't talking about that. You know what I'm saying? By the time this comes <laughs> on, they, they would have won the game and it'll be all right. You know what I'm saying? I'm right, bro. But thank y'all for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks no for reading. No problem at all, man. Um, so, uh, on behalf of uh, Terrence, Sarita, and Angela. You don't speak for me. <laughs> Joel, thank you for your cat daddy wisdom. Stop it. Stop it. I'm not a cat daddy, yo. I don't even have like You're leather. a kitten daddy. I don't even cat own daddy. leather. I don't own like no like animal skin, like no Stacey Adams. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? At least not yet. <laughs> when I get But do money. you get your cologne like from the dudes on the street selling the oils? You know, water. I only yeah. I only, I only buy my paintings? incense off the street. Okay. <laughs> this dude rolled into the barbershop last week trying to sell a, a, a blood pressure machine. <laughs> yeah, somebody probably needed it in there, though. Yeah. Like, hey. No, it's real, it. that's real talk. Yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm GD. Uh, we'll holler at y'all later. Be easy.